0: He accumulated the largest collection of Alamo artifacts in the world. Who is this great American history scholar?
1: Uh huh. And how many of Britain's
0: kings were queens? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> answers to those and other questions coming up in this interesting version of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, here's some perspective on life, Uh Marsha. Who is the great American scholar who has accumulated the largest collection of artifacts from the Alamo in the world?
1: Is he alive yet? He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the great American scholar, uh, is he a writer?
0: He's a musician. Okay,
1: some cowboy. I bet he's a country western singer.
0: No, no, he isn't.
1: Okay, what is it? He's
0: a great American scholar, but he's British rock drummer Phil Collins of Genesis fame. He grew up in a middle-class family in London. His father sold insurance. His mother was a theatrical agent, but he started getting interested in music. He also got caught up in the Davy Crockett craze. Yes, it was a thing in England, too, in the 50s. I wonder, did he
1: have the little hat?
0: He had all that stuff. He even entered a talent contest singing the Disney Studio song Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Oh,
1: that's adorable.
0: And according to a teacher, he stopped the orchestra halfway through to tell them they were in the wrong key. You're kidding. How old was he? (laughs) Probably about six years old. Well,
1: that's very cool. Well, you had me on that one, and I wouldn't have guessed him in a million years. Well,
0: I thought it was fascinating, too. It just came out recently. uh, There's a new book out about the Alamo, and they mention it. Phil Collins, you know, when he became in middle age, he just started assembling what eventually became the largest collection of Alamo artifacts. And in 2012, he even wrote a book about his collection and talked to the Dallas Historical Society. Wow. And recently he decided to donate his collection. So they're part of a $450 million renovation of the Alamo in San Antonio. I bet
1: you has got a little collection of coonskin caps, too, don't you?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that funny, though? Not anybody you'd expect no, at all.
1: No, not at all.
0: Bill Collins to have the, all those collections of things from the Alamo.
1: Okay, Bob.
0: Okay, Marcia, you have an interesting question I there, do. don't you? Yes,
1: I do. <laughs> How many of Britain's kings were queens? How many
0: of the English kings were queens? Are we talking about female impersonators? No, we're
1: talking homosexuals.
0: Oh, okay. Known
1: homosexuals, according to Guide London.
0: How oh. many? And we're talking about a thousand years of history. I don't know. It could be a lot. Uh, I'll just say three, though.
1: There were six. Double that, six. And they were William II, Richard I, Edward II, Richard II, James I, and William III were all kings who were queens. And it wasn't until Tony Blair became prime minister that many anti-homosexual laws were banished in uh, England. There, there were a lot of them.
0: And they were used against everyone except the Except the, the monarchy, yes. Mm-hmm. It was just
1: kept on the down low back then, but... Uh, now it's, it's not. Things have moved on.
0: Very interesting. Guide London is the name of the source of that.
1: Yes. Huh. All right. All, All right. right. Carry on. Your turn.
0: Okay. I've got an interesting question on soybeans. Okay? Oh, I like soybeans. How can you thank a major auto company for soybean substitutions for things like bacon and other animal protein foods?
1: A major what company? A
0: major automobile company. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha.
1: Uh-huh. I'll say Ford.
0: That's exactly right. That's (laughs)
1: right. What did Henry do with the soybeans, Bob?
0: Well, he had his uh, scientists, he had people working in the company, and they developed soy protein analogs in 1937. They pioneered that whole idea. He was looking for a synthetic wool fiber to use for car seats and uh upholstery. And in one of the textile filaments they tried, uh, it was made of soybean protein, which they turned into a vegetable protein that could be flavored any way they desired. So the fact that you have soybean substitutes for food goes all the way back to the Ford Motor Company in 1937.
1: I'll be darned. And then they finally turned to that almost extinct animal, the polyester. Yes. <laughs> and they killed that off. How many
0: did they kill of the oh, polyester? They're just gone. They were killed right and left.
1: <laughs> all right. I got a fair amount of Hollywood questions today. Okay. Not all, but a lot of them. So, Bob, who was the first actor on the big screen to ever play the part of Frontier Outlaw Jesse James?
0: Hmm, Jesse, I don't know, I got Henry Fonda in my head for some reason, but I don't think he did. I wonder if
1: he played it. I didn't look at all the people who played it, but there were a fair amount of Hollywood actors.
0: Does this go back to the silent days? It does. So is it, um, gosh, what was his name, a big cowboy at that time out there? You'll be
1: surprised at this answer. Really? Yes.
0: Well, then tell me who it is.
1: It was Jesse's own son, Jesse James
0: Jr. You're kidding! No!
1: He portrayed his father in the 1921 silent movie, Under the Black Flag. Under
0: the Black Flag. Yeah.
1: He was a a young guy, and he played his dad. He was an actor, apparently. Who
0: knew? Wow. Well, I think that happened a lot of times in the early days. A lot of those people went in Wild West shows and things like that, you know, after the West was tamed or won. (laughs) I wonder what he thought
1: of the old man. Uh, I don't know.
0: I've got a pop culture question, too. Okay. Name the largest and shortest titles... On number one records, the longest and shortest titles of number one records.
1: Okay. Well, who put the bop in the bop shoe bop bop? No. For the longest. No, but it's
0: about that era, that same era. Yeah,
1: the 50s, huh?
0: She wore a... uh,
1: Yellow polka dot bikini.
0: Itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow yellow polka polka dot dot bikini. bikini. That was uh, the Brian Hyland song. That was the longest title, 1960.
1: Itsy-byssy. The shortest
0: title, 1951. Perry Como recorded a song called "If." <laughs> if just really? two letters. If. So those are at least, at, well, according to this source, the well, l- shortest and the longest titles.
1: As I of recall, pop music. he was very casual and relaxed, so "If" was probably all he wanted to. <laughs> and he, he had, had that phrasing
0: out. like Frank Sinatra. He probably said "If."
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, music. Who was the inspiration, Bob, for the crazy Muppet drummer, Animal?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Because a couple weeks ago, we realized that the uh, grouch was inspired by yeah. a waiter at Oscar's Restaurant that's correct. in New York.
1: But this is someone you know of, and uh,
0: was you'll uh, ba- be
1: amused by. It?
0: Was it a big band drummer? No. So it wasn't Gene Krupa, it wasn't one of those guys. So was it um, from The Who? Keith Moon? That's it. Okay. (laughs) Excellent. That's it. He was the inspiration. Very good. Well, that makes sense. Keith Moon was just manic.
1: When we saw the Who, was he playing?
0: No, he had died by that time. Oh, okay. He was a little too crazy, and he died. I have a question for you. Remember when we were growing up, there was something called Head Start that began? And there was the promise was hopefully kids will get better grades and Head Start and all of that. Mm-hmm. So just how important was preschool and all those things? What did a recent study showed? It didn't show the result in academic excellence in future grades, but it did show something substantial.
1: It showed fewer of them went to prison.
0: That's part of it. That is exactly
1: right. More well adjusted.
0: Yeah, uh, That's good. Now, this was 1997. This is interesting because in Boston offered free universal preschool in 1997, and they had so many people that wanted it for their kids, they had to have a lottery. So this essentially became like oh. a randomized, controlled trial you have in research. So uh-huh. 25 years later, researchers analyzed the records of more than 4,000 students who started in that 1997 preschool, comparing kids who won the lottery to those who didn't, Uh huh. Most of those kids were black, Hispanic, and poor, and the study showed that the preschool didn't have any lasting effects on their better grades or test scores, but Preschool had what they call a sleeper effect because it apparently taught students play, motivation, resilience, and how to negotiate life because the kids who attended preschool were more likely to graduate from high school, take SAT tests, go on to college, and less likely to be suspended or incarcerated. Back to what you were talking about. Well,
1: if for nothing else, man, that's an excellent reason to keep head. Is Head Start still around?
0: Yes, it is. This is from a Wall Street Journal, Preschool's Sleeper Effect on Later Life by Allison Gopnik. I thought that was an interesting little article.
1: It is. Hey, who was the actress that sold out Playboy magazine when she posed semi-nude in the magazine at age
0: 50? 50? 5 zero? Yep. At age 50?
1: Yep. Sold it out. Playboy.
0: Who was that? Hubba hubba. Okay. (laughs) Hey, women aren't supposed to say that. (laughs) Hubba hubba. It was
1: Joan Collins. Oh, no kidding. I don't have the year here uh, when she did that, but I recall vaguely her doing that, and I thought, uh, way to go, old lady.
0: And she was in uh, Dynasty, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, So she was hot.
1: Yeah, she's still around and doesn't look bad, that's for sure.
0: Speaking of hot, Marcia. Yes. In heat waves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> People frequently say it's hot enough to cook an egg on a sidewalk. And
1: it can be, yes.
0: Now, how hot would that have to be?
1: Outside, the temperature?
0: How hot would the sidewalk's temperature have, have to, to reach?
1: 110 degrees.
0: No, more than that, believe it or not.
1: 120.
0: 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. To actually cook an egg, a sidewalk's temperature would have to reach 158 so, degrees.
1: Probably a black top.
0: Asphalt, possibly. Asphalt
1: would heat up to 150 on a hot day Might quick.
0: be. Might be better, yeah.
1: All right. Thank you for that.
0: I thought you might want to know that as, as we get into hot weather in the summer.
1: I'd be curious if you can guess this one. Okay. Who was the only entertainer to have all five stars on Hollywood's Walk of Fame? That is one for each category, film, TV, recording, radio, and theater.
0: I thought George Burns had that. Nope is it somebody recently nope. or so it goes way back yeah was it would it be bing crosby nope <laughs> cuz it somebody from that era who was in you know live theater yeah. live stage yeah. and so forth yeah.
1: who who was but, it i think you probably had one of his records Gene Autry. <laughs> oh
0: no, kidding! Gene Autry, almost unknown today to people. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Yeah, I
1: yes, yes. I think uh, was he? What did he do when we were kids? Was he have a TV program? He
0: had a TV program, cowboy show. Yeah, okay. it was Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, or Gene Autry. I remember kids kind of divided between which one they liked best. Oh, okay. Hopalong Cassidy was in there too.
1: Oh, Hopalong, I remember.
0: Gene Autry, of course, yeah. was a singing cowboy. Not the first. The first singing cowboy was guess who?
1: Ah. Uh, uh, Elvis Presley. John Wayne. <laughs> oh, come on. John
0: Wayne was whispering Sandy in one of the, uh, early, his early westerns. That his voice, though. I don't know if no, it was voiced that was or not. I don't know that, Marsh. I
1: do. I read it.
0: You don't know. <laughs> you don't know how he sounded. He could have been singing.
1: Play Misty for me. Go on, say it.
0: <laughs> tumble and tumbleweeds. <laughs> All right. I don't know what he sounded like, but he was called— That
1: was good, Bob. I like Whispering it. Sandy. I didn't know you could do uh, uh, the Duke. <laughs> Chalk we, that one we just up. Got,
0: we just watched recently The uh, Longest Day, and John Wayne is and in there. And it was
1: The Longest
0: Day. And he plays a, uh, I don't know, a general or lieutenant colonel, and he goes, Do I make myself clear? <laughs> I love that. I I remember that from a kid, hearing somebody say that. Every time I hear somebody ask, do I make myself clear? I hear John Wayne asking that in in my head.
1: That's kind of sad.
0: All right, now here's a question for you, Marcia. Wait,
1: isn't it my turn? No. Who asked the John Wayne question?
0: You were asking about the sidewalks. You asked about the sidewalk, all the five Uh Hall of Fame, and I answered... Uh-huh. Gene Autry. Yeah. Then I brought up John Wayne. Oh,
1: you okay. All right, fine. You go. Oh,
0: so, so hard for you to follow these things, <laughs> isn't it? Well, you know, as we age, well, things happen.
1: <laughs> so I've noticed with you, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, why does X, the yes. letter X, symbolize kissing? Well. Where does that go back to? That's
1: an excellent question. I have no idea.
0: Oh, come on. Give me some idea here.
1: X and O's, hugs and kisses. Uh, come on. Uh, mm, I don't know, Bob.
0: For centuries, X was the way people would sign their name if they didn't know how to write. They just yeah, do an yeah, X there, I,
1: as you still do.
0: But in <laughs> thanks, but in ancient times, when people would sign an X to show an agreement, they would also kiss the mark to emphasize their sincerity. Really. So if there was an X on an agreement, a contract, that indicated somebody kissed it.
1: wonder what the, oh, how that came about. I don't know. We'll have to look up that for the next show. That would
0: be one to that look keep up for the keep people future.
1: hanging on like an episodic <laughs> <laughs> series. Why, Bob, mm-hmm. why, why was producer David Selznick fined $5,000 by the Motion Picture Association of America?
0: What year was it? 30s? Yeah. Was it from Gone with the Wind? <laughs> yeah. It was because Clark Gable said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. He
1: did. He used that D word. Oh, my God. And dude. he got
0: fine $50,000. dollars $5,000. 5000
1: 5, which back in the 30s was pretty high. That's probably
0: worth about 500000 today. Just,
1: yeah, it's just like... A, People today, uh, sports people and some people, they'll take the fine just to make a point. And I think he did. And it was worth it. I think people flooded there to hear somebody swear on the screen. Oh, yeah. That was like, (gasps) people,
0: I guess the first time people heard that, they went, oh, Oh. Yeah, but you know, number one, Clark Gable swore.
1: Uh, it's coming out of Hottie's mouth. And he was I think handsome
0: they, and he swore too. Oh, I'm sure yeah, the ladies yeah, love that. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, I've got okay. one more question here, then we'll take a break, all right? Okay. 2020, that was the year of COVID-19. That was the 103rd anniversary of another pandemic, which was the 1918 flu. Yeah. Right? It was also the 103rd anniversary of a term many of us used during COVID-19 to describe our lockdown. What was the term?
1: uh to describe we were
0: when you've been in into seclusion for so long yeah. you, you get what hives you get a fever a fever cabin fever oh well, that's the term that was the title of a nineteen eighteen novel and it kind of invented the meaning for the term we use now oh and okay. what we use to describe okay. the lockdown so it was an anniversary right. of both those things oh. The term cabin fever had been around for a while, but Bertha Muzzy Bowers' book gave the term its ennui-laden meaning, and it was a cowboy book about a former cowboy published in 1918. Here's how it started out. There's a certain malady of the mind induced by too much of one thing. Just as the body fed too long upon meat becomes a prey to the horrid disease scurvy, so the mind fed too long on monotony succumbs to the insidious mental ailment, which the West calls cabin fever. Huh. Actually, it goes back to the 19th century. At one point, that was considered a medical term, cabin fever. It no meant, kidding. It meant typhus.
1: No kidding. Yeah.
0: Huh. All right. Now, follow up to that. Cabin fever, that's similar to another term we use, stir crazy. You've heard of that term. Yes. Where did that term come from? What does stir in stir crazy mean?
1: Somebody that overmixed their cocktail and <laughs> start craving mad. Stirring too much.
0: <laughs> what was the stir?
1: What was the stir? I don't know.
0: That was originally slang for prison. So, oh. Yeah. So stir crazy originally referred to somebody who became deranged from being locked up in prison. Oh. Locked up in the stir.
1: Ah, oh. Interesting. Okay.
0: All break. right. Well, we'll take a break here and be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob.
1: And me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> with Bob and Marcia Smith. We're back again with the Off-Ramp, Bob and Marcia Smith, on a summer day. And Marcia, what do you have? Why was the Muppet Show banned
1: from television in Saudi Arabia?
0: Oh, it must have something there in that show that they don't like. Think about
1: it. Think about it.
0: Oh, Miss Piggy. That's it. It's pig.
1: Yes, that's it. Because one of its stars, Miss Piggy, is a pig, and they are forbidden to Muslims. And even merchandise bearing her likeness was confiscated from stores and destroyed. Really? Yeah, they couldn't show the show. Think of all the kids who missed The Muppet Show, that wonderful show, because of a porker. Isn't that interesting? Yeah.
0: That's interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, Marcia, you know, the cicadas are here, and uh, people are hearing them all over the country. Law enforcement officials in Union County, Georgia, have been so besieged by calls and complaints about cicadas they have been compelled to admonish the public, don't contact us about that. They, <laughs> they've been getting multiple 911 calls. Really? People thinking they're hearing alarms, but they're hearing the bug. They're hearing the cicadas. Uh-huh. They are the loudest of all insects. They can make sounds up to 100 decibels when groups of males form an insect choir. And guess what they're singing about? Sex! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Isn't that what all music is about? They're trying to attract females, which is why they've risen from the ground in the first place. Wow. They make their noise by contracting the muscles around organs called timbals on either side of their abdomen.
1: Timbals. Yes. And the
0: resulting air compression makes a clicking noise. Female cicadas, they can hear the siren call for love up to a mile away. That's presuming they don't get male suitors confused with power tools, which does happen sometimes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> don't run too many power tools around cicadas. Females may come around you and attract <laughs> to you. <laughs>
1: Bob, what's that all over your face? <laughs> Help me. All right. Before my next Hollywood question, here's some old-timey gender-bending factoids okay when Catherine hepburn was a child she shaved her head wore trousers and called herself jimmy because she wanted to be a boy
0: oh dear did you know that no i didn't know yeah. that yeah no. so I, she was a quite a tomboy she, then
1: yes wanted to be a boy and just for fun do you know richard Gere's middle name bob
0: richard Gere's middle name yeah no
1: Tiffany. <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> Tiffany. Oh my God, Richard yes, Gere.
1: Yes, Mr. Sexy Man. There, okay, here's a question. There's Jeez. only <laughs> there's only one X-rated film ever to win an Oscar. Do you know what it was?
0: Midnight Cowboy.
1: That's right. Excellent.
0: I remember when that happened.
1: Do you? And yeah. then they changed it to an R. Yeah. Why did they change it to an R? So more people could see it and more young, impressionable kids.
0: They may have uh, taken something out to make it an R. Because X was pretty explicit. Yes. Okay, what international organization got its name from a poem by Lord Byron? Oh, good old Byron. Uh,
1: I have no idea.
0: It's the United Nations. It was originally going to be called the Associated Powers. And guess who is credited with changing it to its current name? Winston Churchill. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> he quoted Lord Byron, the poet, to Franklin Roosevelt. Uh huh. It comes from one of Lord Byron's poems, which reads in part, Millions of tongues record thee and anew. Their children's lips shall echo them and say... Here where the sword United Nations drew, our countrymen were warring on that day, and this is much, and all which will not pass away.
1: Well, it was a good change of heart. That's a good name. Yeah.
0: The United Nations got its name from a Lord Byron poem. I didn't know that. Good old Winston. You'll like this. <laughs> okay. You'll find this curious. Okay. How did the custom of
1: military salutes Come about?
0: Oh, you know, I read about this the oh. other day.
1: Oh, of course, the other day.
0: Its medieval knights would flip their visors up.
1: Oh, for God's
0: cause sake! Because nobody could know who they were underneath the metal.
1: That's right. Okay, knights would raise their visors to identify themselves to the king or to show friendly intention towards each other when passing by.
0: So that flipping it they up? They
1: flip it up. Hey Joe, how you doing?
0: Evolved into a salute. Yeah. Wow.
1: Every culture that has a salute. Has a salute. And so it, it makes comes... sense it all
0: came back from the same era then. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, Marcia, you worked in journalism. You worked for newspapers.
1: hmm
0: How did many early newspapers and why did they name themselves the Gazette? Where the did that Gazette. come
1: from? Well, we reporters would say, let's get the Gazette out today.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's because the old Venetian copper coin was called the Gazetta, and that was the price of the early newspapers. Was oh, really? Gazette, yeah. Early newspapers soon adopted the slang term Gazette for their publications because that's all it cost. It cost a Gazetta.
1: Ha! Huh. That's I where like it came that. from. I like it. Yeah. Well, you taught me something about the news. Well, oh, I can
0: teach you one more thing, too.
1: I, oh, please.
0: <laughs> where did paper cigar bands come from? Where were they invented and why?
1: Why? Was it someplace like Cuba or South America?
0: Cuba, yeah.
1: And they invented them so people could brand them, maybe, to get their, their logo out there or their name.
0: That would seem to make sense. Yeah. But this was to prevent the ladies who like to smoke cigars from right. getting stuff on their fingers.
1: Oh, re- oh, they had something to hold on to. Ladies
0: then. of the Cuban aristocracy during colonial times, they smoked cigars, but they didn't want their fingers stained. So they yeah. wrapped a narrow holding strip of paper around their yeah. cigars in colors to match their gowns.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So that's and, where these
0: cigar bands well, originally came from.
1: All right. What malady, Bob, do these random people all share? Walt Disney... Leonardo da Vinci, Tom Cruise, Albert Einstein, Jim Carrey, Richard Branson.
0: Wow. They all had the same kind of ailment.
1: I don't know. I don't know if you call it an ailment. Is
0: this a viral thing that they caught it?
1: No. It's an affliction.
0: An affliction. Let's call it that. Would this be something they were born with? Uh, yes. Hmm. What was Walt dun, Disney dun, and all dun. these people? Yeah, okay. Give me the, the pressure's <laughs> on. The pressure is on. The
1: names again? Walt Disney, Da Vinci, Tom Cruise, Einstein, Jim Carrey, Richard Branson.
0: They're all short people.
1: Possibly. Oh okay, that's
0: not it. Okay, what is it?
1: The answer is they are all dyslexic. Really? Yeah. Who knew? Obviously, dyslexia doesn't have to uh, affect your success.
0: <laughs> no, but it's something to overcome because, yes. especially in reading, you have a hard time oh. getting putting words together and no everything. No kidding.
1: I'm amazed. And
0: all those people are people of great accomplishment yes. in their own fields. Yes. Wow, that's fascinating. Yes. Okay. All right, Marsha, you've been to Amsterdam, but I i think we were at the airport, so yeah, you never saw it. But that's uh, it.
1: That's as far as I got.
0: The individual houses in Amsterdam are very thin, the old homes that are right along the canals. Does that canals. mean I can't go in them? They're very thin, Marsha. Very thin. How did a governmental policy lead to those narrow houses in Amsterdam?
1: Oh, uh, taxes? That's
0: exactly right. Yeah, i This goes back to like the 1600s, the 1500s. Early taxes were levied on individual houses according to the width of the building front and the number of windows in it. So to avoid their high tax bills, homes in Amsterdam were built thin and extremely tall with spreading gables.
1: Oh, be darned. That's
0: how it affected it. Yeah. Government policy has so many unintended consequences. Yes. And that's hundreds of years old. That's that's a quite interesting.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Marcia, uh, we had a listener who contacted me with a question, okay? Okay. Now, you mentioned Pokemon this past week. Do you know what the origin of that name is? That's one of the games that people play, Pokemon. I know
1: what it is, and do I know the origin? Pokemon and it's from Japanese culture, is it not? Actually it's a contraction.
0: Korean? It's a contraction of two
1: English words. Pokey. A pokey and a mon. <laughs> <laughs> a poke mon poke money. I'll tell you what it is. Thank you.
0: Pocket monster.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: yeah, which makes sense, you know, because it's a portable game, right?
1: Oh, that's kind of cute. Pocket monster. Yeah. Pokemon. Like Who How does about that, that come from?
0: Uh, that comes from Steve Short, our, okay. our listener. So all thank right. you very much, Steve. That that's, was good.
1: That's kind of cute. Okay, yeah. I shall finish up with a quote from Andrew Carnegie. said a lot of great things in his day. And I send this out to all the politicians of all stripes and colors out there. He said, I shall argue that strong men know when to compromise and that all principles can be compromised to serve a greater principle.
0: Ooh, that's good. Yes. Well, we certainly need that kind of cooperation these days. It would help. Could you say that one again, please? I'd be happy to. And this is Andrew Carnegie, who is a steel magnate, but who also gave many, many cities in the United their States libraries. their libraries. Yeah.
1: I shall argue that strong men know when to compromise and that all principles can be compromised to serve a greater principle.
0: That's great. Great thought there. And that's it for today. We're glad you joined us for our trivia on the off-ramp. And if you'd like to send us your contribution, you can do so by going to our website, theofframp.show, and going to... Contact us. That's right. <laughs> Leave your information, your name, and uh, and what the question and the answer are, and where you're from. So that's uh, that's great. We'd like to hear that. Just heard we had uh, another listener recently, in uh, a friend of ours, Pete Townsend, out of England.
1: I hear we have several listeners in France. I'd like to hear some. Something from someone in France.
0: We love your show. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we bring you The the Off Ramp. ramp. C'est bon. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.